Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we're diving deep into gut health and poop and eating plant-based and how it impacts it all. We're bringing on Dr. Will Bolswitz, and we're going to talk about the importance of gut health. Like, why does it matter? What the heck is our microbiome? How does it impact our overall health? And what can we do to optimize it? Dr. Will Bolswitz is an award-winning gastroenterologist, internationally recognized gut health expert, and the New York Times bestselling author of Fiber-Fueled and the Fiber-Fueled Cookbook. He has authored dozens of articles published in peer-reviewed scientific journals, has countless presentations at national meetings presented to Congress and USDA, and has taught over 10,000 students how to heal and optimize their gut health. This episode is so good. We actually have him coming out on the next week's episode as well. So stay tuned for that and hope you enjoy this one. Before we dive into this episode, we want to give a big, big thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Carviva and Maxine's Heavenly. Carviva is on a mission to create really great tasting, functional organic juices and smoothies by incorporating some of the healthiest superfoods around. The company's innovative production facility is home to an on-site hydroponic farm and they make fresh bean sprouts as well as they do juicing and cooking and bottling equipment and everything there in their facility. And it's all designed to reduce as much waste as possible and to seal in peak freshness for every bottle of juice and smoothie that they make. So that's pretty cool. Their beverages are also made with fresh fruits, veggies, and superfoods that are packed with nutrients, antioxidants, and phytonutrients. They are a source of clean protein and a healthy boost of energy. And you can find them in grocery stores on Amazon. And you can learn more information at carviva.com, K-A-R-V-I-V-A.com. Our second sponsor is Maxine's Heavenly. And you know, we've talked about them before. They make cookies that are better for you than most cookies out there uh, by a whole lot. The first ingredient in their soft-baked cookies are oats. But if you're wondering, who is this Maxine? It's actually the founder's mom uh, who made like the best cookies. And they set out on a mission to take Maxine's beloved recipe and start substituting ingredients one by one to take out all the processed flours and sugars and gluten and animal products and empty calories and replace them with better for you alternatives that preserved that special taste while making it nutrient rich. So big thumbs up to Maxine's Heavenly. And you can get your cookies at maxinesheavenly.com. And they have a 25% off coupon code for our listeners. And that is plants25, P-L-A-N-T-S-2-5. Again, that's at maxinesheavenly.com. Hi, Dr. B. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Hello, hello. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Where are you calling in from today? I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina. Okay. Um, okay. Well, uh, we have your new book, The Fiber Fueled Cookbook, and we really want to dive into all things um, gut health with you. But first, can you start by telling us how you got going down this path? I imagine um, it w- it was a journey for you. Were you always a healthy eater? Um, 
Were you always plant-based? How did that look? Um, so I actually was the antithesis of a healthy eater, to be honest with you. I was uh, very prideful of how good I was at grilling hot dogs. I ate a lot of frozen burritos. If I had 20 bucks, I was probably going to Taco Bell. And um, I I ate in a way where because of my medical training, because of the intensity of it, where you know, basically from the time that I was 18 until the time that I was 34 years old, I was constantly working, you know, at least six days a week, most days at minimum of 12 hours, like certainly 15 to 18 was probably the average. And then sometimes like 30 hours straight without even eating. And in that process, it's like, okay, so the food that I love, meaning fast food, it tastes good. I'm just gonna be honest. It tastes good. It's inexpensive. I didn't have any money. And it's convenient, and uh, I don't have to put a lot of effort in. Cool. This fits so well in my life. And I didn't realize that I would pay the price on the back end. And all of a sudden, I woke up in my early 30s, and I look in the mirror, and who is this man standing before me? This is not the guy that I remember. He's 50 pounds overweight. The gut is sagging over the belt. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, high anxiety, low self-esteem. And basically, I was in a place, I was in my early 30s, I was having a ton of success in my personal, like my professional life, but I wasn't feeling good about myself, and I just wanted to curl up under a blanket in a dark room and be left alone. That's where I was. So I knew something needed to change. I knew that. And um, I'm a very, you know, I'm sure you can tell a very type A type of guy. So I was like, I'm going to exercise my way out of this. That way I can just eat whatever the heck I want. And if I exercise enough, my health will be in alignment. And it didn't work. And there I am. And I'm now like at a place in my career where I am, I'm board certified as an internal medicine doctor. I am training at one of the top institutions for gastroenterology in the country. And yet the, the pills and procedures in my doctor's bag were not going to fix my own issues. And I knew it. I discovered a flaw in my own medical training. And it motivated me to try to figure this out. But the problem is like, I didn't know where to go or what to do. This wasn't, again, like I wasn't educated in how to fix this problem. And then I met the person who is now my wife. It's kind of crazy because this was 10 years ago. And I would have never known. I mean, we're just like on a first date in North Carolina. But I look over and this woman is ordering, you know, like things that are not even on the menu. She basically says to the waiter, can you, can you just put some black eyed peas, some collards and some mashed potatoes on a plate and make it look nice? And I'm just like, yo, <laughs> who are you? What is going on right now? What is this parallel universe that I've inserted myself into? And I'd never been around anyone, like I, I don't even know if I knew the difference between vegan and vegetarian. I'd never been around anyone like this. But what I saw is that she could eat as much as she wanted. She loved the food. She was like, oh my gosh, this is great. It's so delicious. She looked amazing. Her health seemed to be just effortless for her. And we finished the meal and she's like, what are we doing next? Let's go have some fun. And I'm just like, I'm hungover and it's not from alcohol. I need to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it was enough not to uh, initiate a radical transformation or change at least, not a radical change, but it was enough to plant a seed in my mind. Maybe, maybe food, the food that I've been eating my whole life, the food that's celebrated in my family, 
the food that I love, maybe this is the problem. And so I did something that was radical for me. It was maybe one small step, but for me, this felt very radical. Rather than going to Hardee's for dinner one night, which like for five bucks, I could get 2,500 calories. I instead diverted the car home. I'm not a gourmet chef. I needed something easy. So I pulled out a blender and I put a bunch of fruits and vegetables into it and I pressed the button. And a minute later, there was about 35 ounces worth of green smoothie. And I drank it and I instantly felt energized. I felt like this like weighted blanket that was holding me back and suffocating me a little bit had just been lifted. And it's like, I, I, I feel vibrant again. And so this was enough to bring me back the next day and then the next day. And next thing you know, I'm noticing my skin is clearing, my hair is growing thicker. Then over the course of weeks and months, my weight starts to decline, my body starts to change, the belt needs to get tightened. And I underwent a radical health transformation in my own life. And that has motivated everything that I am now today. That has made me who I am. And I think it's made me a better doctor, to be honest with you. Whoa. So thanks. Your thanks to your wife. That is amazing. We have uh the world has to thank her. Stop and um give gratitude for her inspiring you so you can inspire so many people like you have in your career. Yeah, I mean, she's amazing. She's an amazing person. And when she, you know, her personal story is very interesting because basically she's the person who was five years old and smart enough to ask, so how does the cow end up on my plate? And she was told, she was told what, you know, what happens. And she was just like, okay, yeah, I'm not eating animals anymore. And then she basically converted her parents. Oh, we should have been best friends. Yeah. <laughs> I did that story. Yeah, I did that when I was eight years old. It took me a little longer to get there, but that's awesome. Um, and and so cool that her parents there. count along. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, okay, wait, before we move on from that, I'm just curious, all of all of those benefits that you felt, was that just from a green smoothie in the morning? Or did you start doing more really fast because you were feeling inspired and that all sort of like rolled into these benefits you were feeling? Well, so the green smoothie was, believe it or not, my dinner. So I was doing this instead ah. of like fast food for dinner. Yeah. And I was doing a very, very large one because I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four. And at the time I was weighing about 240 pounds. So I was doing a massive smoothie, but this, this was enough to start to initiate these transformations, but it didn't stop there. No, of course not. Like there was more. And because I felt so good, I started looking for new opportunities to make changes. Maybe there's something else that I can add that's going to give me the same pop, the same effect. And so like, for example, I'm a huge coffee drinker. I'm still a huge coffee drinker. I love it. And I decided that like when I go to Starbucks, instead of adding the super high fat dairy and the three packets of Splenda, I can instead just drink it black. And it took me a little bit of time to adapt to that, but I got used to it. And like, that's just an example of another change I made. So you said that this all impacted your work and made you a better doctor, which makes so much sense being on this side of knowing everything as a gastroenterologist, how much that would impact your work. Um, but can you, for those listening who maybe aren't familiar what gastroenterology is or what, what that job is, can you talk a little bit about that and then how that tied in then to what you were learning about food? 
Yeah, totally. So um, as a gastroenterologist, I am a specialist. So basically what that means is I'm, I am board certified in internal medicine. I could be a primary care doctor if I wanted to, or I could be a hospitalist. Um, but I also did additional training so that I could specialize in the digestive system. I'm considered the expert when it comes to the esophagus, the stomach, small intestine, the pancreas, the liver, the colon, and even the hemorrhoids. Like I'm the guy. All right, I'm, <laughs> I, did, I did meet my mother-in-law for the first time and she's like, who is the proctologist in front of me? And I'm like, sorry, that's just who I am. But, um, <laughs> Dr. B, anyway. were you, you, you mentioned that you were, uh, you mentioned that you were eating in a way that made you feel unhealthy. Were you the expert at that time or was this all as a result of your change in lifestyle and and then that's that's how you became the expert. No, I mean I made the decision that I would become a gastroenterologist around 2005. And I started my medical training in 2002. That's when I entered medical school. So it was around 2005 that I made the decision, like, I, I want to be a GI doctor and um, started down this path where, like, I didn't emerge from that goal until, I until it was 2014. It was nine more years from the point at which I made that decision. So, and when I, when I was going through this sort of health crisis, it wasn't just like, a, this was not a couple month thing. This was a couple year thing. And it started in Chicago. I was the chief medical resident at Northwestern, one of the top residency programs in the country. And like all these things are going amazingly well in my professional life. I got the highest award in my residency program out of 60 brilliant people. They actually paid for me to get my master's degree in clinical investigation. That's a Northwestern degree that I got for free. And yet, wow. like I was miserable. And so anyway, to, to sort of accelerate into the question about like, how did this affect me professionally? Um, I started to ask questions when this happened to me. Why was I not taught this at these great institutions, Georgetown for Med School, Northwestern for Residency, University of North Carolina for my GI fellowship? And I started to like basically become very uh, motivated. If this can work for me, maybe this can work for my patients in their own way. So I started to voraciously consume nutritional research. I knew nothing about this. And the year right now that we're describing is about 2013. And I started to voraciously consume nutritional research. And then I would go into the clinic the next day and I would apply it to the care of my patients who have irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease or acid reflux. And they're having their own unique, like amazing transformation. It's their own version of my story. And so it got to a point where by 2016, I felt like there's something special. There is something magical that is happening in this clinic. And it's different than the typical care that people are receiving from their GI doctor. Like I seem to be the only person really doing this. And it's not enough for me to just have a couple hundred patients that I take care of on a yearly basis. And they're the only ones who get the opportunity to, to benefit from this. I felt like the world needs to hear this. So I started my Instagram account in 2016, the Gut Health MD. And I'm just going to be honest, it was very humble. Like people didn't really care for a very long time. There were a lot of nights that it's like, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing this. But I kept doing it because I felt like this is like a very sort of purpose-driven thing. Like people need to hear this. So I'm going to keep trying even though people aren't engaging with what I'm saying. 
Wow. Um, it's, it's really nice to see. I just popped over to your account, which of course I'm following and you now have 383,000 people following your work and getting your message. And it's just, I'm so glad that you took that leap when you're already busy, I'm sure, and tired and have a clinic to run and patients to serve, uh, to be putting the information out there when no one was listening to the point where now the world is here for it. Um, and I that's feel, just so cool to see. I feel like that's a really wonderful, beautiful thing about social media is the access. A lot of people, regardless of income, regardless of where they live, um, have a cell phone. And having free access to an expert telling you all of the, the reasons or I guess sharing the, the, the solution to the negative things that you may be feeling within your body is, is such a gift. So thank you for doing that. And, uh, and I encourage everybody who's listening to go and follow you. If you're not, we are going to put that link in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I kind of feel like you're totally right, Tony, and this is part of why you, you do it. And this is part of like, because at the end of the day, if this was dollars and cents, I would have never been a doctor in the first place. I would have been a banker. That was an option for me, right? My grades were okay. in in college, like I could have done that. Um, but I chose this because this is what I want to do. I want to try to apply my education, my experience, um, my talents in a way that can actually help people. And it's like, it's like you said, social media, like literally, I'm not exaggerating. It is clearly at least 2,000 hours that I've put into creating content that anyone can consume anytime completely for free. My books, they're at your library. You are not required to buy them. I appreciate when you do, but it is not an obligation in any way. And there's a ton of podcasts like this one that we're on right now, where if you enjoy this one, like let Tony and Michelle know but also like check out some of my other work. I've done other podcasts and you know, this is, this is the way that you can empower yourself with knowledge without frankly ever passing me a penny. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, gosh, thank God for it being now. And then also thank God for it being now, not only the access and availability of, of information online, but also gut health is such a new field. I remember the first time that I had heard a podcast that was focused on gut health and it really shook me because I just had no idea was listening to a ritual podcast several years ago. And honestly, since then, even as someone, I have ulcerative colitis, so I have IBD and it's something that intimately affects me <laughs> and my life. But even with that, I haven't really taken a lot of time and energy and research to dive deeply in because I just haven't had the capacity in life. So I think it's so great that this is finally be like come, reaching the forefront of people's awareness. The information is becoming out there and research is moving forward. But I'd love to dive into like the practical, there's so much like the, the practical application of all the knowledge that you have. And I'd love to start with just the basis of gut health. What is it? What are the issues with gut health? How common are they? And what are some of the things that people struggle with? I think a lot of us don't realize how prevalent gut issues are and what they impact in our lives. Maybe people don't even notice or realize that that's what they're struggling with. Yeah, that's yeah. actually another another thing about social media is that I imagine so many people who are being recommended your content by the algorithm may not even know why they're 
feeling ill or why they live with chronic stomach issues. I know people in my personal life who just believe poor health is bad, like a, a badly dealt hand of cards uh, and not something that you can easily change through a lifestyle. Yeah, well, I think that what's exciting here is that this is a message of hope. So I'm going to dive into this topic and we're going to talk about it, but I want people to understand that you, there is a message of empowerment that exists during this episode today where you can make choices that can take control of parts of your body. And this is not a silver bullet, and I'm not here to make false promises to anyone. But what this is, is that you have the ability to make changes in your diet and lifestyle that could potentially bring out the best version of yourself. And yeah, there may still be a place where you do need medication to continue to support you. And that's, you know, this is this is the way that it works in the real world is, is there's no such thing as a, as a silver bullet that's going to fix all of our problems. But, you know, nonetheless, diving into um, what we're talking about here, the reason that people are not making these connections, Michelle and Tony, is that we were not raised in an environment where we would care whatsoever about gut health or these gut microbes. Um, and the reason why is because like what was the like least respected thing that possibly existed in the entire planet from the time that we were kids up until very recently? It was poop. Like why would you care? It's poop. But it turns out that poop is like actually incredibly um, filled with information about you and about your body and your physiology and the way that you work. And that's because it's connected to these gut microbes. 60% of the weight of your poop is actually from microbes. It's not the excrement of your food. The majority wow. of the weight is from your microbiome. And these microbes that I'm referring to, what these are, are invisible microorganisms. The naked eye cannot see them. But if I gave you a microscope and you zoomed in, you would discover whether you're looking, you know, at your skin or in your mouth, your nose, or most concentrated in your colon, the large intestine, you would discover that you are teeming with life. And they are as alive as you and I are, and they are unique, and they have their own personalities and their own unique skill sets. They don't all do the same thing. And most of them are very good. Very few of them are actually bad. And they are, they are the product of nature and the relationship that we as humans have with our environment, particularly these microbes. There has never been, as far as I'm concerned, a second in the history of humanity where we did not include the microbes in the story. They've been there since the very first moment, and they've been there for every moment throughout human evolution. And during that process, we grew to trust them in a very, like, just speaking as a medical doctor, like it is so clear to me how much we grew to trust these microbes because we allowed them to insert themselves into our physiology in a way where we rely on them and without them, we can't function properly. So they are connected to our digestion, our metabolism, our immune system, our hormones, our mood, and our brain health. These are like some super powered things that affect our health as humans. And these microbes, they are very powerful, like not the only thing that matters, but they are a very powerful part of what matters. Now, what's cool here is that like your gut microbiome, there's first of all, 38 trillion of them. That number 
38 trillion is crazy. Uh, I'm going to try to put this in the perspective so that people can understand that 38 trillion is like, how do we get to this number? Okay. If we took all of the stars in our galaxy, all of them, there's about 100 billion stars in our galaxy. We would need to put 380 galaxies full of stars into your colon to equal the number of microbes that you have living inside of you literally right now. That's how many there are. And you're not stuck and they are not rigid and you're not cursed. They are constantly evolving. They are adaptable and they have a functional capacity. They have, they have abilities and those abilities can be enhanced. They can grow stronger. You can add the ability to do things that you didn't think you were capable of doing. So they are an extension of who we are as humans, but they're not human. And yet I would argue they're the most important part of human physiology and human health, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy what's a part of us that we're never, ever thinking about. Can you talk about some of the benefits of like, I know we'll get into the practical how to get good gut health in a bit, but can you talk in general about the benefits of good health, gut health? and the effects of poor gut health? Like how does that impact everyday people, whether they know it or not? Yeah, so this, the, this microbiome that I'm referring to, it truly is, by every biological definition, it truly is an ecosystem. In the same way that like the Amazon rainforest or the Great Barrier Reef is an ecosystem. And it's filled up with this life. And in any ecosystem, a biologist will tell you the way that you measure the health of the ecosystem is biodiversity. Now, this is, of course, a very important word in 2022 because it's more than just gut health. This has very broad implications, you know, planetary health, for example. But biodiversity within your gut microbiome means a resilient, strong gut microbiome that is adaptable. And every single one of those microbes, if there's a thousand different species, they're all contributing in their own unique way towards pulling the rope towards better human health. Um, but on the flip side, if you reduce that functional capacity, if you reduce the number of like varieties of microbes, you'd reduce the biodiversity. The problem is you start missing out on specific types of microbes that were supposed to be there to do something for you. And so this is how we get the manifestation of disease because basically they, they lose the ability to work as efficiently or as well as they're supposed to. So like these different things that I'm referring to, digestion, for example, the number one way that we can kind of tell whether or not a person has gut health related issues is when they have food intolerances. You will struggle to process and unpack your food. And the reason why, so this could manifest with like bloating or cramping or diarrhea or constipation after a meal. The reason why that happens is because we need our gut microbes to help us to process and unpack our food, especially our plant food, to be honest. And if they're not where they need to be, then they're going to struggle to do that. And then you will feel and you will manifest these symptoms as a result of that. But it could also be like, for example, uh, Michelle, you, you mentioned ulcerative colitis. What is ulcerative colitis? Well, believe it or not, we don't actually refer to ulcerative colitis as autoimmune anymore, meaning that the immune system is not actually attacking you. Ulcerative colitis, and this is by the way, true of Crohn's disease as well, which they're almost like cousins. They're 
two very they're, they're two somewhat similar types of what we call inflammatory bowel diseases. In these two conditions, the disruption of the gut microbiome is causing the immune system to actually attack the microbiome. The immune mm-hmm. system believes that the microbes are the enemy, and so it goes on the attack. But your immune system could get confused about other things, not just your microbes. Your immune system could get confused about things outside your body. We call those allergies. Could be seasonal allergies, could be food allergies. Or your immune system could get get confused about literally your own body. And those are what we call autoimmune diseases, which include things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis. All of these conditions like basically tie back to the gut microbiome. When the gut, gut microbiome is not in a good place, you have the potential, particularly if you have certain genetic uh, predispositions, you have the potential to then manifest those types of diseases. So when we go down the line, you know, digestive issues, immune-related issues, but then we'll see metabolic issues like diabetes, um, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, coronary artery disease, obesity, see uh, hormonal issues, so like endometriosis, endometrial hyperplasia, polycystic ovary syndrome, um, or they could be mood-related issues or neurologic-type issues that all kind of connects back to the gut. If you don't, if you don't have colitis or um, or ulcerative colitis and or Crohn's, is there a way to tell if your um, gut health is in good in good standing? Is there a way to look at your bowel movements, for example, to address anything? Um, that could be out of the ordinary or things that we should be looking out for? So, you know, first of all, Tony, um, I would say that the gut microbiome is not measured as good versus bad. It's more like shades of gray. And there's a lot of different ways that you could look at this, you know, in terms of the gut microbiome. So it's not uh, so simple as saying you are healthy or you are unhealthy. It's more like how, where are you on the spectrum of health? And that's, the way that we all are in terms of the way that our body works. And so, um, you know, how do you, how do you measure like whether or not you're in a good place? I think bowel movements, you mentioned Tony, I think that bowel movements are like way, um, underrated, frankly, and I'm not kidding when I say this, I think they should be a vital sign. Why are we worried only about blood pressure and heart rate and respiratory rate? And we're not looking at the number one window into the health of our gut microbiome, which is our bowel movements. And there's a number of ways that you could look at it, but I'll just give one example. There's something called the Bristol stool scale. So I'm not sure who this Bristol person is, but they've been like immortalized with bowel movements in in perpetuity. (laughs) And um, there's seven types of bowel movements. And you can like literally look at the picture. And you say, what type are you? Are you type one up to type seven? And in a perfect world, you want to be a type four. This is like a glorious, you know, celebrated, sausage-shaped, soft but formed, complete bowel movement. That's where we want to be. When people are not in a good place from, in terms of their digestive health, they're moving away from that. Could be moving towards diarrhea, which is a type seven. Could be moving towards very hard balls of stool, meaning constipation, which is a type one. This is one of the things that we could look at. But the other thing that I would propose, in terms of looking at, are where is your gut where you need it to be? You know, is your gut healthy? The other thing that I would propose 
is that you stress test it. So like if we want to know if a heart is healthy, you don't just say like, can you, you know, walk around the house? You say, what happens if you try to run a mile? And when it comes to the gut, we should apply the same sort of rationale, which is that what happens when you eat the five bean chili? What happens when you eat a bowl of whole grains? Right. And can you tolerate that? Because if you cannot, and this is like an ongoing chronic thing, then that to me suggests that your gut is in a state of some, at least some impairment. And we need to work on it and get it better. I have a question that is slightly off topic, but it's one of the most common questions that I get from Plant Based on a Budget. And people are so embarrassed um, to bring it up to me. But how many times per day or per week should people be having bowel movements? Okay. So first of all, um, I'm going to forewarn everyone. I am like, there, there, <laughs> there is no level of embarrassment for me when it comes to this topic, because this is literally what I talk about all day long. So I just have to warn you, like I get way too comfortable talking about this. And then people are like, yo, this guy's kind of weird. It's okay. Uh, just bear with me here. I'm a gastroenterologist. This is what I do. Everybody poops. Exactly. There shouldn't, it shouldn't be something that like people preface this whole long essay and then they're like, I'm having trouble or I'm pooping more than I, I usually do now that I'm eating more plants. Is this okay? Uh, and so it's something that people are, are like feeling privately, but are too afraid to talk about. So I'm, yeah. I'm so grateful that you're willing to share your knowledge and yeah, totally. expertise. So, mm-hmm. um, movements 101 to me, it's more than, it's more than just how often you go. So let me put it this way. If you poop once every seven days, you're definitely constipated. There is no doubt about that. No matter what diet you eat, you are definitely constipated. On the flip side though, there are people who poop every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And believe it or not, they can still be constipated because it's not just about the frequency. It's also about, are you completely evacuating? This is a very important question when it comes to bowel movements, because if you go and it's like this little nugget, and then you have to come back and go again, 30 or 45 minutes later, you didn't empty in the first place. That's not new poop. You just didn't empty the first time. And if we don't completely empty, then we are backing up and we are moving towards constipation. So to me, there's no sort of magical number, really what it boils down to. I mean, I'll say this, the average person poops once a day. There's quite a few people, particularly if you're on a plant-based diet, who will poop twice or even three times a day. And there are some who poop every other day and they're perfectly healthy and totally fine. And it really boils down to when you go, do you have a good, complete, relaxed evacuation that, let me just throw it out there, it's satisfying. Like it feels good, mm-hmm. all right? And um, are you, the other, the follow-up question is, are you suffering the symptoms of a disrupted rhythm, disrupted you know, bowel movement rhythm? Because if you are suffering with gas and bloating and abdominal discomfort and food intolerances and some, maybe some nausea and some fatigue, with all these symptoms that I'm describing right now, these are the symptoms of constipation. And you could be pooping twice a day, but if you're not completely evacuating, then you are backing up and you're suffering these symptoms and that's not where I want you to be. And and when we're thinking about like getting to that perfect 
number or gut gut health in general, not perfect number. I'm sorry, uh, perfect evacuation. <laughs> um, what? There are so many things I know um, go into gut health, and food is definitely one of them. But I've all, but I also know it's sleep and stress and water intake. What percentage of those things is food um, in the importance of gut health? I think that food, it, well, so we have the most data, meaning um, clinical research, to back up the impact of food on our gut microbiome. When it comes into some of these other topics like sleep, um, exercise, it hasn't been as well studied as the effect of nutrition and dietary changes. You know, we know from uh, research from 2014, which, by the way, earlier in the show, in the very beginning, we were talking about my personal journey and how I came to this place. And the study that I'm referencing right now was a study that completely like opened my mind to gut health being the explanation for why my health improved when I shifted to a plant-based diet and also why a plant-based diet becomes so important for people who have digestive issues. In 2014, there was a study done by Lawrence David out of Duke University where he put people on five days of a completely plant-based diet versus five days of a completely animal-based diet. So like meat, dairy, eggs, that type of deal. And this was at a time, like he's not involved in diet wars on the internet. This is a guy who's trying to understand, like, can you shift a person's microbiome with their diet? And in doing that, let me choose two diametrically opposed diets. And what they discovered is that, first of all, your, your microbiome changes in like literally 24 hours. The food that you eat today is affecting your microbiome by tomorrow. But on the plant-based diet, like the gut was becoming so much more healthy, um, the emergence of probiotic bacteria, the production of short-chain fatty acids, which are the most anti-inflammatory compounds out there. And on the animal-based diet, it was frankly disturbing, like what was happening in just five days, shifting towards microbes that have been associated with colon cancer or with ulcerative colitis, increased antibiotic resistance in just five days of eating this way. Like that's terrifying. So the, the, the nutrition is so well established at this point. But to answer your question, Tony, we are, we are so much more than just what we eat. It is important. But there's also the people who they eat the right food, they sleep, they exercise, they meditate. And they go, but Dr. B, I'm not better. Like I'm doing the things you're telling me. And I've had many of these people in my clinic. The reason why is because these are the people who fail with like five or six different doctors because they never get anywhere. They're, they're frustrated, understandably so. And the reason why this is taking place for these people, and I just want to touch on this because I think it's so powerful and important for people to understand that this is not just like what you eat. The reason that it happens for these people is actually due to something that's in their life that is like emotionally disturbing them. And it may not even be in their conscious mind. They may not be even thinking about it. They may think, oh, I'm over that. I've dealt with that. It's the past. But the question is, like, have you really? Have you really dealt with this? Is it truly in the past? Or is it still there? And it's, this is like a traumatic thing. And it doesn't have to be traumatic with a capital T. This could be just like real world, real life things that happen to all of us. Lowercase t trauma. 
and it is continuing to to affect you. And what happens, this is talking about the brain-gut connection for a moment. So we know that like the gut is connected to our brain. I've mentioned that a little bit earlier. The brain is also connected back to the gut. Here's how this works. You get exposed to a stressful thing and it activates the brain and it releases a hormone from the pituitary gland called corticotropin-releasing hormone, CRH. And CRH initiates your stress response. And there's basically like a sequence of events that are taking place in your body that are your stress response. And I'm like, there's a reason why we have this. It's not intended to be bad for our body. But the problem is that downstream, there is a compromise that we have to make, which is that we are compromising our gut. And this is why in times of stress, like acute stress, like, okay, you're going to go speak publicly and it makes you nervous. This is why people get an upset stomach and bloating and either diarrhea or constipation. I mean, I can't even tell you, like when I was in medical school and it was such a pressure cooker, how like much there was a line out the bathroom door on test days. <laughs> but the point is that if you have this stress response that's just basically continuously active 24 seven, then you can eat the right food, you can sleep, you can exercise, and it's not going to take you where you want to be because you are perpetually suppressing your gut microbiome because of the stress in your life. And this is where it becomes important to, um, to actually like turn towards this and create a plan to address it and allow the people who love you and support you to lift you up and, um, not to just allow it to fester and continue to be a problem. Real quick, uh, quick story, super quick. I have a patient who has ulcerative colitis and I've tried everything on her including a plant-based diet, including sleep and exercise and medication. She was not better until she left her job. And when she left her job where her boss was verbally abusive to her and would like publicly demean her and embarrass her, when she left her job, her ulcerative colitis went into remission. Wow. I feel like I can really relate to that. Um, I have felt like I have had flares and ulcerative colitis after extremely stressful events in my life. And so I, it's tough because you can only control that so much. But since my last flare, which was over five years, six, seven years ago, I don't know, a while ago, a huge, a huge goal of mine is just to remain stress-free. <laughs> and if you, it's crazy how if you set that as a goal, like a priority in your life, there's a lot that you can actually control about that, that, that you might not realize. Um, I also had to share, <laughs> had to share, um, in terms of just stress and how that impacts your gut. Uh, Tony and I often laugh because when we do public speaking things, we always message each other and we're like, ah, I have the public speaking poops because it's always right before you go on TV or go on stage or do something where just your stress level just shoots way up that your gut is like, run to the bathroom now. And it's always at a moment where you can't. <laughs> Michelle, um, so, yeah. Michelle yeah. you're embarrassing me. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, the funny story about this is, is I was going on television and I was really, I had a really upset stomach. I, I just was not in a good position. Uh, and I texted Michelle about it and I was like, I have the nervous boobs. And um, no, no, no. I voice messaged her, her 
that I had the voice that, that I had the nervous poops and her dad was with her. And so her dad, her dad heard that I had the nervous poops and he, like, he brought it up to me later. And, uh, and that was funny. That was funny. Um, Michelle and I talk about poop so much that one time, I mean, it's, it's just a normal thing that happens. Uh, that one time someone was like, Hey, it makes me uncomfortable when you guys talk about poop. So can, when I'm around, you not talk about poop. <laughs> so uh, Michelle and I have to be a little bit more thoughtful and and conscious of I think when it helps and make who. it less I think it helps make it more comfortable for people when you normalize it though. So I'm gonna push totally. back on yes. that. <laughs> yes. uh, well, okay. The thing about it too is that like so you guys we we you know I mean basically you are validating what I'm saying. This is the this is what's happening in your yes. body. Is the, yeah. the the brain is basically exerting some control over your gut because of the stress response. And one of the things that you can do is have a strategy in place. So like Michelle, you were kind of alluding to this is like, how do you take control and be thoughtful about these things in your life? Not that it's ever going to be perfect, but just kind of creating defense systems or having a strategy for what to do in that moment. And one of the things that you can do that's been very well validated by science is belly breathing. And this is something that you should practice every single day. And I talk about it in the book. And it's quite simply just a matter of taking a four-second um, extended inhale through your nose, holding it for two seconds, and then breathing it out forcefully out of your mouth for four seconds. So four seconds in, two-second hold, four seconds out, and then a two-second break, and then back in. You should practice this not just when you are about to go on stage at a big event, you should practice this every day because it makes for a nice, simple, like literally you can do this for two minutes way to approach these issues. But then when it comes to that moment of like, okay, Michelle and Tony, you're about to go on stage, you got the poops, what do you do? <laughs> well, the minute that you feel those butterflies, because the butterflies are going to come before the poops, mm -hmm. the minute you feel those butterflies, you put your plan into action and you've practiced. So you know how to do this and your body's ready for it. I love that. Oh, that's I, we're gonna try that next time we're doing <laughs> doing something on stage, Tony. Because yeah, um, definitely. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna pause real quick, and Doctor B, I'm gonna ask you a question. So the most important question that I have now <laughs> is how do we create a healthy microbiome? And I know this is a like a whole. This could be a whole episode on its own. But in in brief concise, concise. How do we create a health, healthy microbiome and what do things like fiber and whatnot, what roles do those play in that? Okay. So this is where I have to come forward. I mean, it's taken us 43 minutes to finally get here. My, my passion for fiber, I finally get to talk about my <laughs> sweet baby. <laughs> so, all right. I feel like this is an overlooked thing. Because like no one cares about fiber. Everyone thinks fiber is boring. When I tried to sell a book about fiber, many, many people said that no one will ever buy a book about fiber. All right. But right now, 19 out of 20 people in the United States are not just like mildly deficient in fiber. They are wildly deficient in fiber. And this is a huge deal because when you dig into what happens with fiber, and by the way, fiber is not hard to find. Every single plant has fiber. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. And I'm going to add this for the like, you know, troll that inevitably comes out of the woodwork to say, Dr. B, you're wrong. Uh, also mushrooms. Mushrooms technically are not plants, they're fungi. 
but I make them honorary plants. I consider mushrooms to be part of the plant family. So anyway, they all have fiber. And fiber is not digestible by human enzymes. This is an example where we as humans are actually limited in our functional abilities, but we become superhuman because of our microbiome. They have the enzymes that we lack. They have the ability to process and break down fiber. So fiber will pass through the small intestine, which is about 15, uh, 10 to 15 feet long, and it will arrive into the colon completely intact. And these microbes will get into a feeding frenzy. This is their preferred food. This is why fiber is considered a prebiotic. Prebiotic means food for the microbiome that gives you health benefits. And when they consume this fiber, not only do these microbes become empowered, and let's like think about this, they're as alive as you and I are. So when we eat a good meal, we become empowered. So do they. When we feed them right, they are stronger. They are more capable of doing their job. And they immediately reward us, immediately. In fact, they are paying us back with dividends, like extra, because they transform the fiber. It stops being fiber, and it turns into the most healing, most anti-inflammatory things that I've ever come across in my 20 years of studying medicine, the short-chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, propionate. These things have tremendous healing effects throughout the entire body. I could like, we could spend an entire episode talking about this. I have an entire chapter in my first book about this. Um, suffice it to say that digestion, metabolism, immune system, hormones, mood, brain health, every single one of these things is connected back to the gut, to the, to the short chain fatty acids produced by the gut microbiome. And what is the effect? Like, why should we care about fiber? Why am I personally upset that 19 out of 20 people are deficient in fiber? Because when you look downstream, more than just like looking at mechanistic stuff, what happens to humans who eat more fiber? The answer comes from my favorite fiber study of all time, Andrew Reynolds, The Lancet, 2019. It was a systematic review and meta-analysis. Basically, what that means is that He's like compiling all of the data. That way we're looking at the whole picture. It includes the studies that say that fiber rocks. It includes the studies that say that fiber stinks. They're all there. And we get to level the score and find out what's going on. And in this study, what he found is that when people consume more dietary fiber, they're less likely to have a heart attack. They're less likely to die of heart disease. They're less likely to be diagnosed with colon cancer, breast cancer, esophageal cancer. They're less likely to die of, of cancer. They're less likely to have a stroke. They're less likely to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And they live longer lives, of course, because I just listed four of the top 10 causes of death in the United States, and they all are improved when we consume more dietary fiber. So you guys, I sit here and I go, why does some gastroenterologist from Charleston, South Carolina, have to be the only one out there pounding this drum, why are our news agencies not celebrating this and screaming it at the top of their lungs every single night? I don't get it. But what I do know is this, when you eat a high fiber diet, you are empowering your gut microbiome. They reward you with short chain fatty acids and the downstream effect affects your whole body and lifts you up towards better health that include all of the benefits that I just described. That's why we should care about fiber, and that's how our gut microbiome works to improve our health. Mic drop.
that is a lot. And we want to talk all about this and more. I have a million questions for you, uh, as, as you and Michelle can see, um, we use a program called Zencaster and it allows you to put your hand up. And I feel like I did when I was in school and my hands like constantly shooting up. I was that person in class. And I feel like I'm that person while you're talking because you have so many good things to say. I want to learn it all from you. So we are going to have you back. Thank you so much for agreeing. So for the first time in the Plant Powered People podcast history, we are going to have Dr. Bion for a second episode that's going to come out next week. And we're going to dive deeper into all these topics. This is so important. It affects every single one of us. We all have guts. (laughs) And I can probably guarantee almost none of them are perfect right now. So, so excited to dive deeper. And for now, you can check out our show notes where we'll link all of Dr. B's books and resources and more. But Dr. B, do you have any final words before we sign off this time of maybe a step someone can take or a resource someone can check out or something uh, before the we dive deeper next week? Yes, I want to challenge. I want to challenge the listeners to start counting the numbers of different plants in their diet. Every meal is an opportunity to count the number of different types of plants. Every single plant counts. You get one plant point. We're turning this into a game. How many plant points can you get at every single meal? Challenge your kids, challenge your friends, challenge your significant other. The reason why we're doing this, and we will talk about it in more detail next week, is that this is one of the critical pieces to gut health. No matter what diet you follow, whether it's plant-based, not plant-based, doesn't matter. One of the key pieces is to eat a broader variety of plants. So start counting them now, and we will talk next week about the specific details of why this is so important. Is there a number we should be aiming for this week? Well, if you were to count, like if you were to make a broader list of, okay, what exact plants have you been eating? Like this week, and you put it on the refrigerator, for example, and you just keep track of, hey, have I had an avocado yet? Have I had strawberries yet? You want at least 30 different varieties of plants. 30 is the amount that we want to at least uh, rise above. But frankly, give me 35, give me 40, give me 45. Like, let's keep turning it up. And the key here is no matter who you are, no matter what your background is or what, or what kind of diet you follow, I want you to hear me. You go into the supermarket. Here comes Dr. B, diversity of plants. You're in the kitchen. You're cooking chili or you're cooking a stew or you're, whatever, it's, whatever it is that you're cooking. You hear Dr. B diversity of plants. You're sitting down at the table. You got your plate. What are you going to put on that plate? Diversity of plants. Make this the centerpiece of your diet. And I trust me, you will feel so much better. And then I'm going to explain the science for why next week. I'm so excited. Thank you for the homework, Dr. B. And thank you for agreeing to do another episode. This was amazing. I learned so much. Thank you, guys. It was it was great to be here with you, of course. I'm, I'm very excited about it. And um, for those of you who are interested in learning more about me and my work, you can come check me out at theplantfedgut.com. I have a great email list that people really seem to love where like when there's breaking news research, in fact, you can't, in case you can't tell already, I'm super nerdy. When there's breaking news research, like I want to talk about it, but like Instagram is not the place for that. So let me write something in more detail that I can then share with my email list. Um, and also find me on social media, The Gut Health MD. And I have two books now, uh, Fiber Fuels and The Fiber Fuels Cookbook. The, the, the doubters and detractors who said you can't sell a book about fiber. Well, here I am on number two. Let's go.
(laughs) I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Another big thank you to our sponsors, Carviva and Maxine's Heavenly. Carviva makes great tasting functional organic juices and smoothies, and you can find them at carviva.com. And Maxine's Heavenly has wonderful, better for you cookies that you can find at maxinesheavenly.com. And remember to use their coupon code PLANTS25, that is P-L-A-N-T-S-25 for 25% off. That was such a fun episode. I love how candid Dr. B is about things that happen to everybody. Um, I, I feel like people are really, really shy about talking about their gut and stomach issues. It actually reminds me of this episode of How I Met Your Mother, where Lily has stomach issues, but she doesn't want her husband to tell anybody that because she thinks that they're going to picture her on the toilet, either in front of it or on it. And she's so embarrassed. And so when she finds out that he does, that he did tell everybody that she gets really upset. Uh, So I would love to stop that mindset and and normalize talking about gut health and bowel movement. And I'm really grateful for the work that Dr. B is doing. Yay, poop. I'm also so excited to dive deeper with him in the next episode. I'm going to give you a little preview about what's coming. We're going to be talking about prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics, uh, antibiotics, and their impact on the gut. Um, We want to talk about the issue with restrictive diets like paleo and keto diet and why he calls them a hazard to our health. We're going to talk a little bit about fermented foods. Should we be eating them? Food sensitivities, which is a huge part of his focus, and training your gut, what we can do to sort of optimize the health of our own personal guts, uh, the impact on longevity. And just since this is a relatively new field in science, uh, we want to pick his brain about where we are now and where this is going in the future. Like, How much do we know? How much is still unknown? Uh, and then we're going to have some rapid fire questions for him. Raw versus cooked, smoothies versus juices, juicing, sprouting. What about alcohol? What about supplements? Yes or no? What's the deal with green tea, beans, and all the discomfort we get? What like we're gonna dive into a lot. So there's a little preview for your brain. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you very soon in the next episode. We have Will's book in the show notes as well as everything else we mentioned in this episode. So check that out at Plant Powered podcast.com and also subscribe to our e-newsletter. We have some good stuff. We have the things that Michelle and I are working on individually and separately. And also you'll get updates whenever we release a new podcast, which right now is every week. So stay tuned and we'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. Bye.